from Browncast Studios in Gallatin Gateway, Montana. This is News Nerds. I'm Ezra Graham. Today we hear two interviews about youth in the limelight. First, an interview with the CEO of Global Citizen Year, Erin Llewellyn. She grew up in rural Oregon as the daughter of a logger and school teacher, and now heads a nonprofit that sends high school graduates around the world on a global gap year to help solve specific problems in the world. Now, this semester is in Cape Town, South Africa, where students will work with human rights protection and activism. We'll talk about Aaron's early life, GCY's programs, and the public education system. And in the second half of the podcast, we hear from the authors of the new cookbook, Cooking with My Dad, the Chef, which was published in association with America's Test Kitchen. Although the authors, Ken and his daughter, Verven Oranger, live in Boston, they are connected to the rest of the world through Ken's restaurants. Ken is a James Beard award-winning cook, and when Verven was diagnosed with celiac disease, they decided to write a cookbook for kids that explains how to make everything from pasta to waffles without flour. It's Wednesday, April 5th, and this is News Nerds. Growing up in rural Oregon, Erin Llewellyn grew up differently than other kids. Her dad was a logger and her mom was a teacher. And now she's the CEO of a company, Global Citizen Year, a nonprofit working to prepare high school graduates for maybe the real world and, and what it entails for their lives. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Ezra. I'm excited to be here. So I want to talk about uh, what your childhood was like and the, the values that your parents instilled in you. So your dad was a logger and your mom was a teacher, as I just mentioned. What was your childhood like? Hmm. I had a wonderful childhood. I grew up outside most of the time. And I think that I grew up fostering a sense of curiosity that has taken me to where I am today. Um, I grew up in a, a small um, town and... I think with my parents, you know, both having different types of jobs, sometimes I'll describe my dad's job as, I mean, everybody knows that logging is not everybody knows, but most people know that um, you know, logging is a very dangerous job. It's always ranked really high up there. And my mom's job as a public school teacher, I think growing up in an environment where these were the two primary examples in my life taught me a lot about hard work taught me a lot about the systems that support that hard work or don't support that hard work or don't support the people in them. Um, and just the world around me showing me different ways that the system works for some people and doesn't work for other people. Um, and I think that that really is part of my upbringing and part of my curiosity and asking questions as to, to try to get to the root causes of what I was seeing as um, both amazing pieces of our lives and also challenging pieces of our lives as we grew up. Do you feel that you fit in with that type of community in Oregon? And, and I know that later um, you moved to Alaska because of the, the opportunities for work that your dad had in Alaska. I think that I have learned to fit into lots of different communities. Uh, I think both my upbringing in a blue collar environment and then my job now where I do not work in a blue collar environment. And I think that 
that experience so I can I can move into different classes quite easily because of my blue collar background and then because of my job now where I'm working with people from all kinds of different backgrounds, including very wealthy backgrounds. And then I think the other piece where I've learned to move in and out of different communities is I am, I, I am a gay woman. And I think that that also teaches you how to interact with people who are very different from you all the time. And also, uh, maybe think very differently about you or have ideas about you or stereotypes about you. And I think that I've learned to navigate fitting in and not fitting in and finding ways to fit in, even when maybe on the outside, someone would say, well, I don't think she'll fit in there. But I found a way to connect humanly with people, even when they're very, very different than I am. What was an experience that you've had outside of your childhood that challenged the way that you thought about the world or how you were raised to see it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I actually think that I would speak to my experience that is the reason that I'm at Global Citizen here today. I got this really incredible experience. Uh, when I was growing up, I always thought the world was a little bit bigger than what I was experiencing. And I wanted to get in it and I didn't quite know how. Um, and so I thought going to another country would be something that I could maybe do to experience something different or going to a big city would be something that I could do to experience something different. And I wanted to have these experiences that kind of made me think differently, but I didn't quite understand and even have words for that. And I got this opportunity through the University of Oregon who I got, if I could get an internship in some other place, they would pay for me to move there and they would pay for me to live while I had this unpaid internship. Uh, and I moved to Cape Town, South Africa, and it was my first ever big city. And um, it changed the way I saw the world fundamentally. It, it made me understand how connected our challenges were. Some of the challenges that Cape Town was having or South Africa was having were very similar to the challenges that we have in the United States. And I had never been able to connect those dots before. I had never seen myself in someone who grew up so far away from me, um, how we're different and how we're the same at the same time. And our humanity is the same. It just taught me a lot about myself. It, it gave me a sense of courage that I didn't even know that I had at the time. But I think that it changed what I thought was possible for myself and also changed what I think is possible for the world. It gave me an optimism of what we can do if we put our mind to it that I'm not sure I would have had had I not had an experience like that. Did you come away with that experience with possible solutions to some of the shared problems that we faced? I think what I came away from that experience was with more questions and a burning idea that I wanted to work, I wanted to spend most of my time here on this earth working toward positive impact. How do I positively, positively impact other people? And I think that's what I came away from that experience with and knowing that like I alone would never have a solution to a challenge, but if we could put the people closest to the challenges together in a room, they could come up with solutions to their challenges. Um, and we should listen 
and I should listen. And that would be a way to approach a problem and a solution that's different than we do right now. Some might say that you're just pitching a company, Global Citizen Year, but there's there's ideas behind Global Citizen Year that I think make it a little bit different from how education is thought of in the United States and I guess everywhere. So what makes Global Citizen Year different and, and what are the missions that make it different? So another good question. I think that Global Citizen Year is trying to offer an opportunity for young people across the world to connect deeply rather than in a surface level while learning. So Global Citizen Year uh, recruits and selects young people from across the globe to go to a country outside their own and have an experience where they are apprenticing in um, local organizations under local leadership under a theme. So for example, young people right now are from 25 different countries. They're in Cape Town, South Africa, and they're learning, they're deep diving into human rights. So we've partnered with over 30 local organizations. The young people are living with a global cohort of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And they're learning about human rights in the South African context and specifically in the Cape Town context. And then they're learning how to connect that to their own home countries and then see the connections with their peers that they can make from there. Um, so that the, the reason we do that program is to really then think about the impact of thousands of young people having an experience that's completely opened their minds and perspectives to what's possible for the world and what's possible for themselves. And that we think in turn can really shift the way we solve our problems, the way we talk to each other, the way we uh, work together and collaborate. And so that's the reason that Global Citizen Year is, a, is that, that's the mission part of what we do. We're also a nonprofit. So for us, young people come to us from all kinds of different backgrounds. The, uh, we have a financial aid model. So if you can pay tuition, if you get into Global Citizen Year and you can pay tuition, you pay tuition. If you get into Global Citizen Year and you need financial aid, you get financial aid. So it's very different in that. It's not an, it's not a, a company where you sign up and pay and, um, and participate because we believe every young person who wants an experience like this and is ready for it should have the opportunity. And that's a fundamental difference in who typically gets opportunities like this and who typically doesn't. What's in the future for Global Citizen Year? Or is that something that Global Citizen Year and, and you will find out as the world changes and the younger generation changes as well? Yes, and yes to that. I think we have to stay current. We have to keep listening to young people to see what they're saying they need, what kind of skills they're looking to build, what kind of environments they want to learn how to work within, how they want to work with people differently. We have to keep listening. And then at the same time, what we're thinking right now is what are other themes that we could launch? We'd like to launch an environment theme, a climate theme. We'd like to launch an education theme. Uh, these are what's next, it, new country opportunities and new theme opportunities. 
And I think when we think about that's the program piece, the second piece is how can we think about higher education differently and maybe embed some of these principles in higher education? How can a young person go to college and then have an experience where they leave with real skills that are less academic in nature, but more um, the human skills of working together across lines of difference, of actual work experience where they've been volunteering in a way that is more about learning rather than service. Um, those are some of the things that I think we want to embed in how a young person is educated today, which I think could really shift the outcomes of, of an education in the United States today or the world. I want to talk about what, what kids are getting out of public education today. So they come to Global Citizen Year, probably with 13 years of public education. Are they equipped to deal with the real world problems? I would ask you, Ezra, you're in the smack middle of it. Do you think you are being prepared to, to deal with our real world problems? No. <laughs> okay, so you and I see eye to eye on this. And I think, look, there's there we've moved different into different economies. We're, we, we were in an industrial age, then we were in um, you know, a knowledge economy. Now we're in what some people are calling a human economy, which is we've got to learn what, what do we offer? What do we as humans bring to the table um, to, to actually solve these problems? And we bring qualities like collaboration, like the ability to listen and work with a team toward collective solutions. Those are the inherently human skills that we have to foster. And you only do that with practice. You only learn those things when you're in it and you're practicing them. When you're learning from experts who are proximate to the problems that you wanna engage with, that you wanna be a part of finding solutions to. Those are human skills that sometimes what is helpful is if the public school system, which is, uh, you know, I think doing a wonderful job. My mom's a public school teacher. My wife is a public school principal. I mean, the, the challenges of being in public education are infinite. Um, but when you think about catching up a public school system to the problems and, uh, and challenges that we have today, there's going to be a lag time. And that's where a nonprofit organization or someone doing something a little bit differently, doing something a little bit more boldly can actually intersect with a public school system to then help augment and provide quicker innovation into a system that takes a little bit of time to adjust and adapt. And that's where I think Global Citizen Year actually plays a, a great, can play a great role. I want to say that, um, you know, I think that when I talk to kids my age um, and younger and, and older, they say that the best times that they've had in school is when they get to go out into the real world and do something that, you know, also might apply to education. They might be delivering a speech or an essay at a contest or going to their dream workplace to see how everything works. I think that's where everybody can benefit from in the in the education system. So Aaron, thank you so much for talking to us about this today. 
Well, thank you, Ezra. It's been a real pleasure. I'm really excited about what you're doing and I, I can't wait to listen to more of your episodes. That was my interview with the CEO of Global Citizen here, Aaron Llewellyn. You can apply for upcoming semesters with the program online at globalcitizenyear.org. Ken Oranger is a James Beard award-winning cook. He co-created the restaurants Kappa, Toro, Uni, Little Donkey, and Facha a Facha with Jamie Bissonette. He has restaurants all over the world, but today we'll talk about the new cookbook, Cooking with My Dad the Chef by Ken and his daughter, Verven. They're both joining me now. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Ezra. Thank you so much. So pumped. So I want to talk about formal cooking education. This is one of the things that I really like to talk about when it comes to food. Can you, uh, you studied restaurant management at Bryant College, and then you went to the Culinary Institute of America, which is probably the most prestigious culinary uh, academy or school in, in the United States. Do you have an opinion on when culinary school is necessary? You know, it's funny, Ezra, because I get asked that question probably more than than anything else when I'm speaking with uh, a lot of people that are interested in food and interested in cooking. The thing is, culinary school now, even when I went, it was a lot of money, but now it's an exorbitant amount of money. So I think that um, for anybody that's really interested in cooking, it's important, you know, kind of like yourself to see a little bit more about it from um you know the ground up what it's like to uh to spend you know the long hours on your feet what it's like to um deal with the pressure situations of you know having to get food out pretty quickly and consistently and really understand the dynamics of a kitchen you know once you really understand that then you can sometimes say okay i want to further my education with a culinary school or else I want to just do the apprenticeship type route and start, uh, you know, in a great restaurant and, and work your way up. So there's strengths for both of them, obviously, you know, I learned an incredible amount when I went to culinary school, but I'd also worked in some great restaurants, um, you know, as a kid and, you know, it all depends on really what you're feeling inside. I was talking to Mark Bittman last week and he said that one thing that uh, he said was that the business side is maybe the part that you should take uh, a class on. Are you still are you still working in in your restaurants? I mean, you have so many. Is is that something that you have time for? Oh, I <laughs> I love it so much. Still, after all these years, I'm still you know in the restaurants every day. You know, and um, uh, I have some amazing chefs, amazing managers and partners, and I'm lucky enough to be able to work with such talented people. If I'm not uh, I'm not involved in my restaurants. I kind of feel uh, feel lost. So it's a it's a great feeling to just encourage all of our people to you know to be their best and to just still be creative at this point. Do you ever think about uh, when you're making a dish or developing a new recipe? Do you ever think about making it too fancy? Is is that something that you think about? <laughs> 
It's funny because, you know, back back when I first started cooking, I used to try and make everything too fancy. And now I've learned to kind of, you know, my restaurants are a lot more casual. I used to do really fancy uh, French food for a long time. And then, you know, just kind of now I've been on a mission just to surprise people with uh, combinations, but to always make food tasty. And, uh, you know, and that's the great thing about cooking with my dad, the chef is that these are recipes from all of our restaurants that Verven and um, Luca grew up eating, you know, being kids growing up in restaurants. And, you know, there's restaurants from Copa's Bolognese sauce to Paella from Toro to, you know, the uni spoon and uh, Maki, you know, making Maki the proper way. Also from uni and we have um, arepas and sopes from Little Donkey. So all the recipes in the book are pretty much food that uh, that these guys have grown up from the restaurants that seem complex. And, you know, there's dishes with truffles and anchovies and things like that uh, in a kid's cookbook. But again, this is food that uh, that we feel anybody that really enjoys food could be cooking all the stuff at home, whether they're a kid, not a kid, whether they enjoy cooking or they just want to learn, you know, from uh, the basics. This book uh, can kind of teach it all. So I want to get into um, what you cook at home, and then we'll get into some of the specifics of of the book. And I'm going to mention that Luca is Verven's younger brother, um, and he is in the book as well. Um, but when you come home from work, are you tired of cooking? Do you make something really simple? And do you, Verven, like what he cooks? <laughs> okay. uh, go ahead yeah you start okay well um definitely I love what he cooks obviously um I've grown up on like all different types of things so like I've had different things that maybe some of my friends haven't had mm. yet like oysters and stuff and like when they get come over like I encourage them like my dad does too to try them and make them sound like less intimidating and but I'm always interested to like try the things like it's always just like one bite you know if you don't like it like you don't have to have another one but like it's like really cool to have the experience to get things from all different types of places like all, the, all of my dad's restaurants um and everything he cooks that i try is like delicious and i always love to learn about it how to make it and you know to answer your uh question to me you know when i get home from work i mean i've been if the kids aren't coming to the restaurants to eat you know i'm coming home to cook for them so there was nobody in the world i'd rather cook for than you know than my family so i I'm always excited. I, you know, it's almost like, um, uh, you know, a TV uh, cooking show when I get home because I only have uh, a very short period of time to whip together a quick dinner and I take it as a challenge and it's really fun and exciting, you know, for me just to say, okay, I have one hour, uh, you know, the kids have to go to soccer, they have to go here, they have to go there, they have a lot of homework and I'll be like, okay, what can I make in one hour with what I have in the fridge or, you know, or it'll give me, the opportunity to plan, you know, in advance also and say, okay, I know like a couple days in advance that I have, you know, whatever, like in the fridge today, I have spinach orchiette dough and, you know, I've got um, some Comte cheese that we just got at, the, at an amazing cheese shop and some really great uh, goat cheese. So I was like, okay, I can make some kind of like cheese fondue type sauce that I can, um, you know, serve with the spinach orchiette for, uh, you know, for Vivian, um, you know, probably, well, tonight, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to have time to cook, but probably for tomorrow night. Uh, the, the new book is published with America's Test Kitchen, which is also based in Boston. How did you get involved with um, that company? 
Um, so actually, it's an interesting story because the um, pastry chef at my dad's restaurant that I've worked with ever since I was literally eight years old making all these complex pastries with him, um, uh, like got me in touch with someone that worked at America's Test Kitchen Kids uh, when I was like literally 11 or something like that to go um, and test out some recipes there. So then I did. Um, and that was like a really cool experience. And then just then the pandemic came and like I never really did anything else with them. And then they reached out about doing this YouTube videos with them. So I tried out I was like, I was like, oh, I might not get it or whatever. And then I ended up getting it and I made several YouTube videos for their station. That was really fun. Um, and then like I think it was my mom's idea like to bring up this book to see if we could like share our gluten free chefy type recipes with the world. Um, and it just sounded like a really cool idea because um, I love writing I did all like the writing in the book. And then like I've always loved cooking grew up in the restaurants and then with my dad like we just thought it would be a really cool idea so that's kind of how it was born. And the, the book is uh, because you have celiac disease. Um, it's an auto yeah. autoimmune disease and uh, you know autoimmune diseases are really strange what was it like finding out that you had celiacs and did you really even know what that was um so actually i had been eating gluten-free a lot during my life because my mom is like really into like the healthy stuff like that so whenever we could eat gluten-free so we kind of already knew some basic gluten-free type recipes and stuff like that um and like there were like a few months when i was really sick like three months and i had no idea what was happening we were really confused but then we ended up um, finding out uh, and I was in fifth grade. And at first it was okay because we were in, at home all the time. So like I never actually started going to restaurants, but then that definitely gave us a lot of time and my dad a lot of time to experiment with flowers, like especially the things like bread or pasta and stuff like that, that I couldn't have like what I was probably usually having before that. Um, and that's how a lot of these recipes were made because for people who can't have those things now and they feel like they couldn't ever have them again now they have those opportunities to have delicious things that you can't even tell the difference yeah and that's and that's again was my mission you know with the book during COVID it allowed um you know I literally would spend you know like 12 hours a day making you know pasta different so different kinds flowers, of pasta yeah like with, laying out on the weighing table. everything by the gram and saying okay you know this is great for you know uh ravioli but this dough is better for tagliatelle and then this dough is better for like, uh, orecchiette and so i took you know just copious notes had everything by the gram adjusted 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 for months and months and months and you know that gave us the opportunity to really write a great cookbook with some fun recipes what is it that makes this book different from other um gluten-free cookbooks besides that it's uh, targeted for kids um, and, you know, co-written by um, your, your daughter? Um, so uh, I think there are a lot of things that make this book unique. I think the first thing is that it has all different types of recipes. Like it's not like any type of like certain thing, like it has a lot of desserts. It has a lot of um, like really fancy things, a lot of really basic things, but with like a twist. Um, so there's always something exciting in it. Um, and also there's actually something that I like must add is that it has a comic in it that um, uh, is like a story that's a fictional story, but kind of based on real events ish type of thing. Um, and it's where it follows the journey of like Raven asking about how it is to be a chef and learning all these new things. So you can like read the comic, uh, do, do the, um, the recipe as well. And also the pictures are like the most beautiful pictures. Uh, we all took them in the studio and it was so much fun making the things, taking the pictures for them. And what I think is different about the book too is, and again, there's some phenomenal, you know, gluten-free cookbooks out there, but I think this is a chef's book. I mean, you know, I don't know how many James Beard award-winning chefs have written gluten-free cookbooks, but 
these are recipes from our restaurants that have been around for a long, long time that have won multiple awards and that are just tasty food that people love to eat, you know, whether it be, you know, ramen, cacio, pepe, you know, you don't see that in cookbooks every day, or, you know, there's even chapters like rice vermicelli with chicken and coconut curry. So it's a lot of global uh, food and even foods that kids love, it, it takes them to another level, like, uh, you know, crispy, cheesy quesadillas where there's the cheese on the outside of the corn tortilla, which is super crunchy and, you know, everything from sopes to pupusas to uh, soca. And then even there's, you know, recipes for, um, you know, with sea urchin and you know, homemade strawberry shortcake, ice cream bars, which I've, yes. I don't think I've ever seen that in a cookbook, oysters with strawberry mignonette. So they're really some amazing dishes in here for anyone that loves food. Can you explain what sopes are? Um, yeah, so sopes are like literally my favorite food. I've been making them since I was really little because like the dough is almost like Play-Doh. So basically they're like, um, they're kind of like thicker tortillas that have like a little barrier around them and you can put anything you want in them. My favorite is steak with guacamole, um, but like you, it has like a little barrier. They're really fun and easy to make because like you smash them, you make the little thing around the side, like literally as if you're playing with Play-Doh, but edible. Um, and then you get to put like literally whatever you want in it. And it's like, it's, uh, they're so good. They're easy, fun, quick to make. And I know there were several times when my dad came to like my elementary school classes and all the kids would make them. Yeah, so the dough is, is a masa dough, which is the same dough that you make tortillas, as Vervan mentioned. But it's, um, again, it's much thicker and it's shaped with uh, kind of like a, a pie where there's uh, high edges on it. And it's like a cup that you can put when you fry them in, uh, you know, in a saute pan and a little bit of oil. Then they get crispy, but still uh, nice and doughy and chewy and, um, you know, like three times the thickness of a regular tortilla with, uh, with a rim around it. Are you annoyed like I am with cookbooks that are advertised for kids and then you open them and then the first recipe you see is something ridiculous that may not even work. The recipe might be totally baloney. Are you annoyed like I am about cookbooks like that? How do you feel? Um, I I know that there are like some like things where like especially it makes it like the things like super simple like I don't know like some like random like really easy mac and cheese type of thing where it's like yes for kids but we also want that type of challenge. Um, and then there would also be some cookbooks that would be a little bit challenging. They wouldn't break down everything. Um, and this book especially like, we took into account how cookbooks are kind of sometimes hard to read. Yeah, and and it definitely you know it. Um. I'm a cookbook collector for a long, long, long time. So it really upsets me because, uh, you know, these recipes have been tested over and over and over and over and over again, you know, literally a hundred times by kids. And we took um, a lot of their comments uh, to heart and the ones that they said were confusing, we kept working on and kept working on. And, you know, some of them were a little too, um, you know, out there for, you know, for some kids. So we took some of those out, but uh, here we have a collection of 70 or, you know, a little bit more than 70 recipes in the book. What's one example of a recipe that you took out? Oh, actually I have one in mind that I was kind of upset about pop tarts. Um, they were <laughs> the, the, we got a lot of comments about how they were hard to make, but I love them. So <laughs> yeah, pop tarts was definitely one, which we had strawberry pop tarts, which were, were so delicious. Good. It's funny because we were working on this book for, you know, for almost two years. So 
you know, there was a lot of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So, you know, the recipes that we took out, I, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't even remember because we worked, you know, on so many recipes mm-hmm. for such a long period of time. Raven, what do you think about what people your age choose to eat? Um, well, uh, I do know that sometimes my friends get like, like they come to the restaurants and I'm like, you can try oysters, you can try truffle, you can try any of this stuff that you want. And then they're like, I'll take plain pasta. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and like, I totally respect that everyone likes all different things, but I know it's important that you try stuff. And obviously I'm not going to force my friends to, because I think they would all just like be like, okay, I don't really want to be friends with anyone kind of thing. But I think like, it's really good for kids to try things. And this book really encourages that. Well, you guys, thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you so much. As well, thank you. It was a real pleasure and continued success with an amazing podcast that you've uh, created. Father and daughter duo Ken and Verven Oranger have a new no-nonsense guide to gluten-free cooking. It's called Cooking with My Dad, the Chef. Uh, next week on News Nerds, we're going to see what happens. It's been a crazy week with the Trump arraignment and all of that. So we're going to try to see um, if we can get a special report on that with some of the people involved with the case. And until then, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your week. News Nerds is produced and hosted by me. We're on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com where you can catch up with past episodes, subscribe to our newsletter, play our crosswords, and contact us. Find News Nerds on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. We're also on community radio station KGVM every other week at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. They're at kgvm.org or 95.9 FM on your radio. Consider supporting them by going to kgvm.org slash support dash kgvm.